Card presents Back Issue Bloodpath with your hosts, Andrew Young and Petula Neal. Look at you. You brought a sword and some arrows to a fight with Supergirl. <laughs> Supergirl doesn't give a fuck about a sword and some arrows. Welcome to Back Issue Bloodbath. I'm Andrew Young, and this week it's a very special episode because I'm joined by the Spoiled Rotten Podcast, Daniel Grant. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for coming on, man. Of course, we had you on about, I'd say, probably about a year ago mm -hmm. for our episode on Static Shock. And uh, yeah, of course, since then, we've uh, we've appeared on mutual podcasts and shows since then. Mm -hmm. And I uh, thought it was high time to have you back on, sir. So how you been doing? I've been doing well. I'm I'm looking forward to this as well. So thank you very much for having me back. Well, thank you for coming on. So this week, we are looking at Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow. Now, some comic fans might not have heard of this newer book. It's uh, relatively new. It only came out last year. Some fans might have read it diligently, and some fans might only know about it because James Gunn has announced it as one of the DCU Chapter 1 films, which uh, Gunn said that he read Tom King's run on Supergirl, and he said, oh, I want to turn this into a big science fiction epic feature film and uh, so that might be you're in on this but uh, Daniel you're the one who picked uh, the book for this what was it that uh, stood out for this book that made you want to check it out oh it was 100% what you said about James Gunn saying oh, yeah? this is, I think I've never given Superman and like that world a fair chance and so I was slowly like reading Superman comics and trying to get more into Supergirl as well but when James Gunn had that five minute thing where he was like, here, here's what we're doing in chapter one. I was like, this seems like the perfect jumping off point to like do this in earnest and, and uh, read a Supergirl uh, comic. And I, I really do like Tom King's writing. I find that even if I don't really like the character, if he's involved, there's some, there is a hook to me that I, that I enjoy to keep reading his work with uh, any character. It doesn't have to be a character I already like. Yeah, no, no, that's the thing with Tom King. We've actually covered a number of Tom King's books on the show, but not like his Batman run or anything like that. Mm -hmm. The third tier characters he's covered, and for better or for worse, Supergirl falls into kind of a third tier level when it comes to fandom, how big the character is in the comics. Of course, he did the uh, the Mr. Miracle book, which mm -hmm. was amazing, and then Strange Adventures, which was one of my favorite books while it was out, and then most recently another amazing book, which we actually did an episode on not too long ago, on The Human Target, which was just fantastic. And what I like is he takes a, he has a different take for each one. Yeah. You know, like the Strange Adventure kind of felt like paranoia type 1960s films, like almost Hitchcockian, but in like a space adventure. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, Mr. Miracle was kind of an exploration of life and death and one's will to live and i was then, really into mr miracle that was like my favorite tom king thing and then i kind of just spun out from there and kept reading stuff yeah yeah and uh and the human target was kind of like a uh a 60s noir that just happened to involve justice league international which was <laughs> which is hilarious but this one Okay, so this one is kind of a bit harder to define because it's an epic fantasy adventure. It's sci-fi, but it's got a bit of Western to it. Yeah, I kept reading it on and off before I even said that we should do it. And I just, I remember, like, I can't even 
I don't even know if I can pronounce the uh, like basically the narrator's name. Like, is it Ruthie or like? It's like I think something... I think it's Ruthie. Yeah, okay, something Ruthie. like Ruthie, and... Ruthie. Yeah. Because at some points she's speaking like I would expect like a science fiction like person to say, but then she does kind of throw in an ain't here and 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 uh, a double negative there, and I'm like. This is the Western part of it. I feel like this is she's the she's the girl that was raised on the like the ranch, and she's she's going off on an adventure. Yeah, totally. And it also much like westerns, they kind of follow the same kind of structure as the quest of a knight and a squire. Mm-hmm. And this also has a knight and a squire type feel to it as well. You know, you've got your 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 warrior who comes into town and helps someone who is on a quest for revenge, but is still technically an innocent. So you have those kind of levels to it. There's so much going on here, the layers to it. It is kind of a hearkening back to classic storytelling, right down to the narration, which we'll get into my thoughts on the narration later, but it's very, even though it is, you know, like an epic fantasy, it's very Dickensian in Mm -hmm. nature, the way it's spaced out. So a lot of like influences and factors going into this one which is really surprising. And it kind of also has an underlining theme of the fact that Supergirl, as I mentioned before, kind of in the third tier realm, is an overlooked character. Why? Because her cousin is the biggest superhero of all time. I don't know if it was meta or not, but like just the idea that they're really championing Supergirl throughout because it's from the point of view of Ruthie, that like a lot of stuff that I think people typically talk about when they're talking about Superman is applied to Supergirl in this story. And I think in an interesting way, like I, it made me think a bit more about the super family, like the house of L or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah. And in this case, we, again, because as you said, Ruthier, we're seeing Supergirl through the eyes of another. And that again, also kind of harkens back to both Western tales and medieval tales, mm-hmm. fantasy tales, always like somebody who's telling the story of someone else. And the story begins with Ruthier's father being slaughtered on his farm by Creme of the Yellow Hills. Which that right there kind of felt like a Conan type villain. I <laughs> think Cream of the yes. Yellow Hills. Yeah. So she wants revenge and she set out to find someone who will uh, help her with the revenge. And Creme also, not only did Creme kill her father, but kind of in almost like a slap to the face, insult to injury, left his sword lodged in her father's chest. Mm-hmm. So now all she has is her anger and this sword. And her idea is, I'm going to go to town, I'm going to find a champion, and I'm going to say, you're going to take me to find Creme of the Yellow Hills, we're going to kill him, and then your payment will be this sword. And she tries it, but of course, a guy tries to swindle her out of it, and that's when Supergirl steps in. Mm-hmm. Now, what did you think of Supergirl's reason for being on this planet? Was this like her dog? Like, Was this the, the crypto thing? No, no, no. Crypto was with her, but her reason for being on the planet was it was her 21st birthday. Okay. And so she wanted to go out as far out into the cosmos to a universe and a planet that did not have a yellow sun. Right. So So that she she could actually, yeah. She can, and so this, that was a while since I read that, but what I liked about it, to answer your question, I liked it a lot, was Mm -hmm. that like, you get this different version of like for me most of my 
knowledge of Supergirl, unfortunately, comes from the TV show. So it was, like, nice to have this different iteration of her where she's kind of, like, surly, but also, like, thinking about making a movie out of it. Like, the idea that, like, she she's drunk and kind of forgot that there's no yellow sun. So when she tries to fight, she starts bleeding. And just adding that extra layer of, like, she still wants to do the right thing, but she's in a place where she can't fully use her powers like that and and can't just sacrifice her body like that and it forces her to readjust and i just thought what an interesting way to tell this story that like we're gonna be places where she isn't going to be the strongest person there yeah and i also thought it was kind of fun the idea of that it's like she's 21 she wants to experience what many 21 year olds that she would have encountered in the us of a want to do they want to legally get mm-hmm. drunk on their birthday in a bar and she unfortunately has to go to the other side of the galaxy in order to do it. This kind of sets up an interesting through line with her that even though she's this great grandioso person and she's got a well-known persona and everything like that, she just wants to experience some regular shit mm-hmm. and it's something she's never gotten to do, not only because of her powers on earth, but also because she saw her entire world yeah. die. She didn't have a childhood in that sense. Like Clark was sent off and uh, grew up and had a childhood. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's, it's just, but as the book makes a point, of like, no, she wasn't the baby in the rocket. She was actually still there and watched it like day by day crumble. Yeah. And then when she was a teenager, she was finally given her own rocket with the idea of go to where your cousin was sent and protect him. By the time she gets there, because of how light years work and everything like that, her cousin is fully grown and doesn't really need her. So she's also someone who had a purpose that was lost pretty early on. So Mm -hmm. a lot of like heavy weight for like a 21-year-old to carry around. 100%, yeah. I think that the book does a good job of just getting me on her side right away. Like, not that it would be very hard, but I just think if you were really new to the character somehow, right away you're sympathizing with her and uh, looking forward to seeing how the character interacts with the narrator. At first, Supergirl tries to talk Ruthier out of her quest for vengeance, but eventually sees that that's not going to happen. Of course, Krem of the Yellow Hills also kind of wrongs Supergirl because he shoots both Supergirl and Crypto with arrows Mm -hmm. and steals her space travel, which of course he needed because she was on a planet without a yellow sun. And so this begins the trek, Mm -hmm. the quest of these two people together and very interesting pairing that we got, we got to deal with this entire time for me though. I really wish Ruthier would just shut the fuck up. She's a great Uh, character. There's some great (laughs) moments, but that narration, as I mentioned, Dickensian in nature, when I say Dickensian, I mean it is word after word mm-hmm. after word. She is not a concise character. And I know that he was going for a specific feel and tone, but I feel like I looked at those pages again without reading those panels. I was like, it's a much better story without them. Well, near the end, I, l- I appreciated Yes. Where they got to with the narration and the purpose of the narration and like how it plays off of what you actually are witnessing happening in real time. But like you, I was every time the narration came up, I was like, "Hmm, I don't like this part of it. (laughs) I wish we were just back to like hearing the people talk for themselves. 
Yeah. Like even when Ruthie talks, she's pretty wordy. But yes. when it's in the give and take of a conversation, it's not that bad. But then when it's like page after page just her, of like yeah. just captions talking and it's like, okay, yeah, I get it. I get it. <laughs> yep. I kind of surmised right there that that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just less is more. Again, I come from a comedy background where the one of the cardinal rules is why say something in 100 words if you can say it in 10? So, yeah. Yeah. So that was probably the only major problem I had with this series. Yeah. It did feel like an interruption for me at points. And as I said, ultimately, I like what they did with it, but it's not like I was like, this justified it. It was just more like, oh, okay. I guess that was a good idea. I I could have done without it, but that was a nice way of capping it off at the end with the uh, narration versus what you see actually happening. Yeah, yeah. And it's like also with the reveal of what the narration is and means mm-hmm. uh, at the end of it is, you know, very well done. Just at the beginning, maybe, I'll just, like, Tom, just maybe if you just <laughs> cut like 50%, 50% yeah. would be better. You don't have yeah. to have all of it. You don't, I guess you don't have to take everything away. Maybe just take a lot of it out. Yeah, definitely take a lot of it out. We see the pair go through space travel and go on their search for creme on all these different worlds and they find out about was it the the brigadiers is that what they're see i didn't know how to i was like brigadans like i did brigadans yeah the, the brigands I did not know how to pronounce yeah <laughs> they the, you know the, the band of basically pirates that's basically what they are they're pirates mm-hmm. space pirates that uh creme catches up with but then also we like again we we have some allegories about but uh, racism and and classism in one story. I thought story. that's what you were talking about when you were talking about Dickensian, because there, there's that planet they go to where it's like, oh yeah, we got. I can't remember what color it was, but it was like we got rid of all the blue ones, and it was the purples, like, or, yeah. or the purples. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we just have the the good people, and it's like, well, there's no purple people around here, <laughs> and then you're like, yeah. you like, she spends out. time with the purple people. <laughs> well, yeah, you find out that oh, they kicked all the purple people out of town, and there was Purple Town, and then things got bad for the purples. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's the the class system and racism. All like all of the prejudices are kind of covered in that story. It's from then on that it becomes no longer Supergirl and Ruthier search for Creme. It's now they've got to prepare themselves to fight the brigand, mm-hmm. who are just going from planet to planet, just trashing people. And you see, like, the effects of genocide on a much sim- more simplistic scale mm-hmm. in this yeah. story. So, like, there's a lot of things that he's touching on in this, like uh, social and economical issues and philosophical issues. But he's doing it in a way that's very easy to digest. Yes. Uh, I don't think it would trip anyone up to be like, wait, what's going on? It's very, as you said, very easy to digest. And I feel like there's a lot of, like, micro interactions where you're like, I get the idea and how you can expand that into the bigger idea he's talking about. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, what did you think of Krem of the yellow Hills? Did you think he was a, an interesting antagonist, an interesting villain, or was he more of a plot point than a character? That, that is how I felt about him. I do like the kind of, there's like the last two issues where he's tied up and he's really testing Ruthie's like resolve, but Ultimately, yeah, he's just more there for their growth than he is to be an actual like threat or a character that I'll remember beyond like, <laughs> beyond that. Like I, I didn't have a problem with that. It was just more like, yeah, he's not 
that exciting to me other than for like those two issues where he's tied up and I was like, okay, like he's really pressing her buttons here. This is interesting. This is interesting. Yeah. That was the thing. Yeah. He was, cause like at, when he, when he's first introduced, he's kind of introduced in just kind of a story. And then we get one interaction with him in the first issue. And then it's probably not for another like four issues, maybe five that he really comes back into the story full tilt. And that's when they finally catch up to him. Of course, before that, Supergirl faces probably the most, of all the times where their life is in peril, probably the most torturous is when they are stuck on a planet with a green sun, which kind of has the same effects on her as Kryptonite does. Yeah, and I like that it was like, Oh, well, Superman survived this. Like, how long did it take? And he, she was like, I mean, he was there for 35 minutes. Like, the Justice League saved him. And they're like, well, we've got 12 hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've got 10 hours to get to that sunsets. But one thing I do like about this book, which I know some people who are Supergirl purists hate this, is the fact that she kind of talks more like someone who is 21 who's cocky, mm -hmm. who's gone into adulthood. But you know, I, I remember when I was in my 20s, I thought I knew everything, but it wasn't until I got to my 30s that I realized, oh, I spent most of my 20s being a dick. Yeah. So she's not a dick, but she has those little dickish moments. And it's like, like I love moments like at the end of her 10 hours in the green sun, she finally gets up and is like, 45 minutes. Clark was a fucking pussy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... At least that's what I'm guessing what it says because it's growl links. Yes. So it's little symbols, but I get the feeling that that's what she was saying. And yeah, it's like you get those moments from her that she's surly, she's swearing. Again, she wanted to go drinking, which, of course, if you think about Clark, who even she comments on it, that Clark is always kind of like, like too perfect. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't have wanted to do something like that, you know? And so no, I like that. I, really I like, like the fact the distinction that she's rebellious. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like the distinction they make, even for me, because it was like, oh, this is different from what I see her like on the show. But like, even within the story, they are making the distinction between her and Clark a lot. And that planet with the green sun is like a good example of that. Like, cause I, my feeling is that you get the sense that she is the stronger one of the two of them. And I like that this or at least it's confirmation bias. Cause in this story, there's a bunch of times where they like, they set something up that like Superman did. And then she's doing better than he did in that situation because it does show her being pushed to her limits. It's not like she, it's a, a breeze for her to do any right. of this stuff. Right. It's, it seems it, very much like it's always moments of endurance that yes. they're kind of showing this. And I, I like that in my heroes. I, I, I like those moments where they like just really have to like rally for themselves and get it done. Yeah, it's kind of like, like again, I don't feel like the story is trying to say that Superman isn't as good as Supergirl. Yeah, yeah. I feel it's very much more like saying, well, Superman is almost like a symbol. And so when people see him in any moment of possible peril, they're there. Like that's mm -hmm. the reason why Clark was 45 minutes on that planet mm -hmm. was because the Justice League showed up and saved him. And so because of the fact that he's more seen as a symbol and everything like that, he kind of gets a few helping hands from time mm -hmm. to time. Whereas Supergirl, who again is like a forgotten hero, who's a third tier hero living in the shadow of her cousin, anything that she gets, she has to earn it. Having to work twice as hard to get 
uh, half as much. So yeah, yeah, because she's still not considered like an equal to Superman even in this world. But it is like you see the work that she puts in, and I think another. It's not really related, but I liked some of the narration. I liked was when they were talking about because I guess it's a thought I've always had as well was recontextualizing her strength, and so saying like it's not that she has like ice breath. It's that she warms her breath to talk to you. It's not that she's got laser vision. It's like that she holds that back so she can look at you in the eye. Stuff like that, like the effort that she's putting in to not kill you basically yeah. uh, when interacting with you. is. A, I, I, I like that touch to uh, Supergirl that she's putting in this effort and that it's more a release when she's doing her power stuff and not like she's she's working on keeping it all together as opposed to working to like get up there and fight. That's right. So she's dealing with all that. And at the same time during this story, she's not only a protector of Ruthie, but she's almost trying to shield Ruthie from the horrors of the world mm-hmm. while at the same time, kind of like almost like, you know how a parent has for a child. It's like, I don't want you to feel this because I felt this. Mm-hmm. I want a better life for you. And she kind of takes that on, which is someone who is a stranger that she kind of just feels responsible for. Uh, it presents an interesting dynamic. Now, with Ruthier, what did you think of her character? Because, again, the entire time she is not only reflecting on this fact that Supergirl is doing all this for her, but she is responding to it sometimes positively and sometimes negatively. I think during the story, I was kind of like, this is nice that she, I wasn't sold on her too much. I think it really does come down to the final issue where you see her in the, I don't know if we're going to talk about it, if I'm going out of order for you or whatever. No, it's Um, okay. It's okay. But like when you see her at the end and they say how lover long, uh, Krem has been in the phantom zone and I appreciated her self-awareness of being like, Oh, that book, what a stupid book. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I forced that on everyone. <laughs> like, and like, as you said, like the narration is her book that she wrote after experiencing this stuff with, which you get hints at the whole time that she's like, Oh, this was way back when I first met her. So you obviously know that a lot of time has passed when she's writing the, this narration. I liked that version of her, like that old woman version that's just like, oh, yeah, I really was like, yeah, this was, that was a stupid book. I'm sorry. (laughs) Like, I feel like she's just like, yeah, sorry about that. But like that, that was unnecessary. And that in contrast to the version of her that I liked Supergirl's part of it of being like, this was always like my test to make sure that you didn't want to kill Krim when you had the chance. Like, that's not going to make you feel better. And then I'm thinking like, oh. That's actually it's interesting retroactively, but then when she's kind of like, no, I did learn, I did learn. I was like, oh, this feels too like um, after school special when she's trying to like, pr- like, no, Supergirl, don't kill him. I, I understand what you're saying now. But again, it pays off at the end when they're like, okay, he's out of the phantom zone now. And then they, they kill him. Yeah. I, was like, <laughs> I was like, good. I'm glad, I'm glad that they were like, he should also suffer first. <laughs> like, <laughs> we can't just kill him. Like, we have him 300 years of suffering in the Phantom Zone. So yeah, I guess my thing is everything in the end feels better, but there's some just some key moments where I'm not sold on her as like a character that I'm invested in, other than she's the one facilitating this story that I'm enjoying about Supergirl. Mm, yeah, no, I hear you on that. Now, uh, you mentioned that only recently that you've gotten into checking out the world of superman and all that i myself 
have popped in and out uh, throughout the years with uh, the Superman mythos. But what did you think of, you know, again, because this is Supergirl out of her element, but they did a pretty interesting job of working in, like, the lore of the Superman world. Like, of course, you get Comet, and you get touches on Comet's backstory. You mm-hmm. get the history of what happened to Kara Zor-El at the fall of Krypton. You do get a lot of, like, key moments that kind of connect to like the Superman mythos. How did you feel about the the interspersing of those moments of lore? I thought it did a good job of giving you, um, what's the best way to put this, some landmarks for you to get your bearings in this. Like, again, I'm, I'm looking at it as like, this is just a new story. Like, but they're giving you some kind of landmarks. Like, okay, so this did happen. Like, this is established. And not to say that it's the same continuity as other stuff you've read, mm. but just to be like, less guesswork of like, okay, so is she, like, what I know about her is that she was sent to, like, protect Clark, but didn't need to by the time she got there. And so they established that in this as well. So I appreciated that it was there, but didn't feel like it was overshadowing. It was just kind of like helpful things of like, yes, this part is true in this story. This part is true in this story. And then, yeah, just less things to worry about or or overthink i think Mm. yeah see i feel like the fact that this book when i first heard it get released i thought it was going to be a black label book Mm. it just seemed like okay it's written by tom king it's a third tier character it's going to be a black label book so it'll be totally out of continuity but then they released it under the regular dc imprint which makes me think okay i guess it is in continuity so i felt that they did a good job of making sure that it fit into the continuity in a sense i guess not contradicting anything Yeah, exactly. But as I mentioned, there's some people who are fans of Supergirl that are not fans of this book because they feel it's a bit too edgy for Supergirl. And to that, I say, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, that's part of the fun of it for me is I don't think I watched all of Supergirl, but I did like the first season, I think. And I understood that it was like, yeah, this is the cheery thing. But I like that there's an iteration that isn't cheery and... Still not a bummer. It's not like I felt like, oh, wow, I, I hate hanging out with this version of Supergirl. Like, she's still interesting to be around. It's just she has a different point of view on the world. And I, I think that's fun to explore. Yeah, yeah. I felt like they didn't dip too far into the grim dark. Like, yeah, yeah some of the situations were pretty dark. But Supergirl herself didn't get dark. At worst, yeah, like she, she says got things like, I'm Supergirl. Yeah. I'm never angry at anyone. Or like, and, it, like, and I guess you could see that as being sarcastic. But I kind of, I thought like, realistically, what? Yeah, like she probably doesn't feel like she needs to be angry at anyone. Like she can kind of exercise any anger she has in the moment. Yeah, no, exactly. Now, uh, we haven't talked about it yet. But of course, the, the artwork in this, the art by, again, if you're listening artist, I'm sorry. I'm going to try my best to pronounce your name. I'm going to say is... Bill Quay Evely, that's my guess. That is close enough to what I was thinking. And I, I know I wasn't going to get it right either. I was yeah. just like... And then the colors are by uh, Matthias Lopez. This, like, we talked about all the different genres that the story covers, but mm-hmm. the artwork here feels very classic, like medieval fantasy, in my opinion. Yes, I'm, I'm a fan of the art. I'm trying to think... I. Th- because I remember last time I was on, I, I felt woefully unprepared to speak about the art. <laughs> and I tried to remember like a moment where I was, I, I felt struck by the artwork. And I, 
I can't remember now, but it's, I think it's Supergirl gets to see all the atrocities that Krem has committed. And just the way they draw her eye, like in contrast to like these lush uh, backgrounds that you're seeing throughout and landscapes, is just this really sullen look on her face while they're on a mountain, I think. And it says everything. And I, I felt like that was just really well done. Of, you already knew she was like, I'm not going to let Ruthie see. I'm going to, I'll take this one for the team. But to see how it affected her after you've seen her be shot with arrows and beaten up. And it would look like that was kind of what got to her the most was watching everything that Krem had done. Yeah. Moments like that are very striking in this. I also got to say, the facial expressions in this are mm -hmm. amazing. Of course, the main characters, you know, Supergirl, Ruthier, they, they have a lot of different expression in this. But the blue people, the expressions with them, because they're putting on this mask of insincerity mm -hmm. of like being like, hey, nice to meet you. You know, it's a beautiful day. Well, sort of thing. everything under the yeah. And as soon as they're questioned, their faces turn to almost like a haggard evil. You know, the kind of face you would picture on someone who thinks of you as a lower life form type thing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like just that, the fact that their faces turn on a dime, the expressions in that are just so different. I thought that was, that really, that really captured to me. That really struck me and really helped with that story. The colors in this, like I, I said that the artwork is very medieval fantasy kind of feel, but the colors are very sci-fi. The mm -hmm. colors are like, we're, we're on different planets. So we're going to play with the hues we're going to play with, you know, the warmth and, uh, of course, having written into the story, the yellows, the reds, the greens, they come in at the right moments, which mm -hmm. I really like. Again, this is a feast for the senses, but it doesn't overdo it. There's a kind of like a subduedness to all of the stuff that's coming your way. Like there's a lot of I stuff agree. on the page, but not overpowering. It all feels like it works well together. Like I, I think... I don't have an example of it, but like it, the way people talked about the art, I thought before I read anything, felt like it, it it had the potential to be like, well, I'm just looking at the pictures and not really reading it. But like, I feel like it is infused with, as you said, like the way they use the reds, the yellows, the greens, and how that that's specific to like the suns and everything. That it, it all worked together, like so that everything felt like of a piece and in the best possible way to me. Right. So the big question is, if you were James Gunn, who's the director that you think would handle a story of this nature? See, I just assumed he was going to do it. But if we are going for another director, that's a good question. Um, who can do this properly? I'm, I'm uh, struggling here. Would this be a good thing? Who did rogue one not who took over but like who they put whose name was on it i Is that gareth I evans remember. or edwards i never remember was it gareth which... edwards i thought gareth edwards didn't get to make his movie did he make that movie i mean ultimately no ultimately no over. yeah <laughs> <laughs> but they did put his name on it right right Ooh, i feel man. like if you let him i mean i guess he'd have to have a proper script but i feel like he could get the visuals down of this yeah, yeah. And that, like, again, you commenting on James Gunn. Yes, this also does seem like a story Gunn could do himself, but he can't make all the movies. No. Yeah. So I guess the other possible answer would be Wes Anderson. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I would not put us through that. 
Dear God. Talk about people that have, you know, started out great and then just kept failing upwards. That's, uh, <laughs> I miss nineties Wes Anderson. That's when he was good. But, um, I mean, that's when I was hooked, so I can't disagree. Yeah. These days it's just got too much, too decadent and far too white, like the whitest white. <laughs> yep. I, I can agree with that 100%, even yeah. though I do like Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh, that's the one that actually turned me off of him. That was the one that made me go, I, I'm I out. I was afraid if I, if I put it, if I put it up there, it would get shot. That's down. okay, man. It's all right. I'm not, I don't judge other people for liking him. I'm just, for me, no. But, uh, but yeah, I do think if they do this right, it will be like an epic space fantasy. Like you can do a space opera with this story. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And I look forward to see who gets cast in it and whatnot. But for the time being, I say definitely check out this book. It is not on the same level, in my opinion, as his work on Strange Adventure or Mr. Miracle. But it is a good time. I I think it is. Well, I guess unless you're tied to a very specific version of Supergirl, I can't imagine you being upset with your time reading it. It, it. It feels like a worthwhile read in that sense. Yeah, totally. So you go pick it up today. Have a good read. It's eight issues. I believe it's available now in collector edition. So check it out. Well, we've come to the end of another episode of Back Issue Bloodbath. Daniel, tell the good folks where they can find you. I am at the Young Guard on Twitter. That's Y U N G G U A R D, and just Young Guard on Instagram. My website is tdfeverything.com, so you can find. Everything I do there, podcasts, writing, music, all sorts of stuff. That website, and I've got two podcasts, Uncolonized. <laughs> I've got to make sure. Yes, I do have two. <laughs> there are two uh, of them. Yeah, I've got two, Uncolonized with Gavin Stevens and uh, Spoiled Rotten with Ben Sitt. But y- you'll be on talking about the Daredevil movie. We we recorded that. That'll be out in June, soon. There you Next go. Next couple of weeks. Actually, I don't know when this comes out, but it, yeah, people can look forward to that. And, I have uh, a feeling there might be a chance that they come out roughly around the same time. Okay. Who knows? Well, then Hakima Petula was on talking about Endgame. So that's something people can listen to right now at any time. And we also uh, will be starting our coverage of Secret Invasion in the next couple of weeks. So that'll be okay, interesting. Okay, looking forward to that. When's Secret Invasion coming out? June 21st. Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, so we'll... We've got a couple movies to do, and then uh, we'll start that. And I, I pride myself on our coverage of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, so I feel like it's another opportunity to have a good streak of episodes like that. There you go, man. There you go. Sounds good. So, of course, check that all out. And, uh, Daniel, thank you so much for coming on. Of course, you can find everything I do over at geekardshow.com. Follow me on Twitter at geekard. Follow this very show on Facebook at Back Is Your Bloodbath, where we post a new episode every week. Of course, the easiest way to make sure that you don't miss an episode is to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice. And while you're there, leave a five-star rating and review. As far as they tell me, that helps. So we'll see if it does. But also, make sure you take some time in your day and be thankful for what you got. And be thankful that you're not taking a knife to a Supergirl fight because it ain't going to work. This has been Back Issue Bloodbath. I've been Andrew Young. Uh, I've been Daniel Grant. Thank you very much. Have yourself a good...